welcome many of you know Alexandra um, through being around, but also through helping uh, lead a communion arts project uh, for this fall that many of our artists and creatives and, and lay people in Oak Church have, have been a part of collaborating on a project uh, to um, help us. Uh, it'll, it'll actually wind up being a gift to the congregation to help us uh, celebrate um, communion and remember uh, at the Lord's table each week uh, together. So that's coming up in, at the end of October, and, uh, and Alexander's done a lot of uh, coordinating uh, for that, for which we're thankful. But I'm going to invite uh, Nancy to come up and read our, our scripture today. For it is just like a man going on a journey. He called his own slaves and turned over his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. Then he went on a journey. Immediately the man who had received five talents went, put them to work, and earned five more. In the same way the man with two earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, Master, you gave me five talents. Look, I've earned five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Then the man with two talents also approached. He said, Master, you gave me two talents. Look, I've earned you two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Then the man who had received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. You're a difficult man reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talent in the ground. Look, you have what is yours. But his master replied to him, you evil, lazy slave. If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers. And when I returned, I would have received my money back with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good-for-nothing slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The word of the Lord. Yay. Uh, I'm excited because um, my family is here and they're taking up the back row. And they would never let me go off on them like I'm about to go off on you. So I'm just curious, Chris, does, does Rach, Rach ever say, save it till Sunday? Just wondering. Cause yeah, well, she also says, uh, don't go too long on Sunday. So. <laughs> and on that note, I'm starting the clock that you, you gave me, so. All right, so last week, um, for those who weren't here in my family, uh, Chris started a series on work 
that I'll roughly summarize it as, because we're made in the image of God, all work matters to God, and that God matters to our work. Our challenge was to participate with him, that is God, throughout the work, through working prayers, to acknowledge his presence. Um, I serve uh, as the creative director for, for Culture Care. It's a ministry department with Artists and Christian Testimony International. I help churches show Christ in local communities through creation care, creativity, and artistry. And yes, and yes, the next one, yes. So culture care is a journey from uh, individualism and the distinctive Christian vision of shalom and the kingdom of God through community witness and practice. Basically, culture care works to bridge the gap between spiritual formation, between what we believe and what we do. And we do this through lively, hospitable, and thoughtful fellowship by engaging ethics, imagination, and creation. Now, relax. Today, I won't explore philosophies of art or go into any depth on works of art that I might have time to show. But I believe that there are biblical principles for creative work. And that's what I'm here to talk about today, is making good biblical perspectives on, cre on creative work. For our purposes here, I want to define creative work as not limited to works of art as generally understood, but to that work that is dynamic, that is generous and generative versus mere labor. Still, blame it on the day job, um, I'll offer a few ways in which the arts and artists can help all of us to see and enter into creative work and witness. Um, when Chris asked me if I would speak on creativity with the majority of non-artists during service, I knew that identity and judgment would be key. When asked about my job, half of the time I get a response of, that's great, I'm not creative. But what a text, and I just, it was kind of cruel actually, what a text to lead us into our reflection and worship today. Why this text about the parables of talents and this evil servant? I admit I'm playing with this text a bit, but there are some biblical principles that we can draw out that apply to creative work. Usually when you hear anything about creativity, it's a positive text. And to be fair, I've, um, I've, heard, I've never heard a sermon on this text in regards to gifting and vocation. Most of the time it's about money and tithing. Um, but I've always been convicted by this text about giftedness. My questions were first, why was the servant so evil? That's pretty harsh. It's not like he stole it or recklessly spent it on drugs or the races. I just read a report um, that 49% of employees don't trust upper management. So this seems kind of fair. But this is God in the parable. And this is a conversation that I believe God has had many times um, with many people. What did the servant not see about his Lord and about his own heart? and God's heart. I've wrestled with this question, and I've come to believe that Jesus is showing us us in some areas of our work as it's tied to our identity and lives. While Jesus could have, sh have thrown in a spare servant who did gamble and go to the races um, or steal, that's not a question of, is it good or bad work? The Bible has shown us time and time again that our temptation is often about valuing comfort and mediocrity over courage, over risk. God knows that we are prone to fear, control, and blame. I knew you would be angry at me if I failed. Second, 
If it is true, as Chris preached last week, that we're created for work, that our work matters to God and that God is part of our work, we are and will be judged on, not on salvation and grace, but according to the worthiness of the work. Even God looked upon his, his work and judged it. He said it was very good. If that's true, then the second question is, how do you measure or calculate or judge the worth of your work? Are you making good? In her book, and this is an excellent book, um, Letters to a Diminished Church, Dorothy Sayers argues that if we truly believe Christian doctrine, it would radically change our attitude about work and by extension, all of life and practice. She explores this idea of work that is making identity and judgment through the Apostles' Creed, which we'll go through. First, Sayers writes, I believe in God, the Almighty Father, um, all God Almighty, maker of all things. That is, and to quote her, that is the thundering assertion with which we start, that the great fundamental quality that makes God and us with him, what we are is creative activity. Just let that fall of you. What we are is creative activity. In the beginning, God created from everlasting to everlasting, father and maker. And by implication, man is most godlike and most himself when he is occupied with creation. Ending that quote. And if this is true, then by implication, we, we as artists say, art needs no justification. You have the power to create because you were born to do it. The parable of talents and the evil servant reveal an economy of scarcity. We see this today when employers, when employers value cheap labor over the gift. How cheaply can I do, make this product? And also what as employees, we seeking us, with us seeking the highest paycheck rather than calling or giftedness or your fittedness to a task. This is a desecrated view of work. Contrast this to the economy of the father, the maker. Think about the abundance and generosity in which he gives, that, that calling, how much more will your heavenly father give if you but ask? Think back of the story of Abigail that Chris led us through this summer, her foolish, her foolish husband and King David. Recall that her back was against the wall and she had but one talent food. Um, and she gave it all and won the day and the kingdom. Recall Mary with her one gift, her expensive perfume, and anointed her Christ. And that is the one act that all the Gospels record. Creative work will always reveal a passion for giving. But to give, you must first see. I want to imagine an alternative ending for this evil servant, one in which the healing of his vision of his Lord. And this is Mark 8, through 26. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by hand and led him outside of the village. When he had spit into the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, and his sight was restored, and he saw clearly. So this is tree hugger. Um, and I think about this uh, with the man and his restoration um, of, from healing, that he actually required two healings. 
to see and then to see clearly. Um, there's a film, Many Beautiful Things. Um, for, has anybody seen it? This film, Many Beautiful Things? Yes, my mother has seen it. She's seen it a lot. Um, it's great. I, if you don't get anything from this message, please go home and watch Many Beautiful Things. You can watch it with me. Um, uh, it's about the story of one of England's greatest artists from the 19th century, Lilius Trotter, whose art was intent to make you see. In her journals, she wrote, come and look. Many things begin with seeing in this world of ours. Lilius was discovered by the premier art critic and celebrity John Ruskin, who changed his, view, his views on women as artists. I was wrong. Women can paint because of her work. Ruskin said, the greatest thing a human soul ever, ever does in this world is to see and to, to see something and tell what it saw in a plain way. To see clearly is poetry, it's prophecy and religion all in one. When Ruskin discovered Lilius, he knew she had the eye to perceive and capture beauty. Lilius wrote, there is a peculiar loveliness about the art of saints and a peculiar joy. For the artist, more than other men, has the power of forgetting himself in what he sees. To see in such a way that you then become and do what the ancients call as the act to behold. Ruskin promised that Lilius would be the greatest artist in England and her work would be immortal if she invested her talent. But while art was her, her passion and her dream, and you can't imagine the opportunity um, she had with Ruskin, she gave up her dream to pursue her calling as a missionary in the French Algiers. Have you heard of the saying, break rules like an artist? Well, Lilius broke all the rules, both as a woman and as an artist. She was a writer, a visionary, a social entrepreneur among women and children in the poorest areas of London and Algiers. And she instituted social methods 100 years ahead of her time. Before she left London, she opened the first cafe um, for working women in London. Before that time, while there were restaurants and so forth, there wasn't a place really for working women who would, because they would stand on the streets with their lunches. And this cafe, this restaurant, gave them a place in which they could have dignity with their lunch um, and rest during their work. She saw a need, the broken areas in society, and she worked to, she worked to meet that need. Her story was almost lost to history, but her journals, paintings, and drawings that she did in Algiers over 40 years have come to light. The story of Lilius leads us to the next part of the Apostles' Creed. And the only begotten Son of God, by whom all things were made, he was incarnate, crucified, dead, and buried, and rose again. Dorothy Sayers takes this second statement in the Creed as a warning of suffering, defeat, and even failure. We cannot rush to victory. We cannot rush to victory. It's our temptation to skip the unpleasant bits and go straight to joy. But, the first, but if the first declaration is father and maker and the goodness of creative activity, the second warns us that when we begin a work, a good work, and expend creative energy, it will suffer and we will suffer. The work itself will suffer under external forces People will either be against the work, against us, or apathetic. And apathy is its own heartbreak. But then there's our own internal resistance. Lilius wrote about the dandelion. 
I don't know if you can see it, but measure thy life by loss and not by gain, not by the wine drunk, but by the wine poured forth. For love strength standeth in love sacrifice, and he who suffers most has the most to give. This dandelion has long ago surrendered its golden petals and has reached its crowning stage of dying. The delicate seed glo globe must break up now. It gives and gives till it is nothing left. In a way, artists are models for Christ in that they show us that work isn't something to get through in order to earn a paycheck. Great work requires sacrifice, and great artists will sacrifice for the work. But keep the two great commandments before you. Love the Lord your God, and second, love your neighbor as yourself. First, love the Lord your God in your creative work means that even if you cannot live by your gift, I'm thinking, for example, all the writers, poets, actors, storytellers, craftsmen, potters, etc., you sacrifice to create space to practice, and you sacrifice to do the work because he has called you to do it. Lilius, though she rejected fame, always created space for daily practice in her art, even into her 70s when she died. And everyone on the Oak Arts team can probably attest to this, that even exciting creative projects have real low points of internal resistance. Around Easter, an artist, Bruce Herman, um, I don't, we'll show a picture of his work. Bruce Herman was the artist in residence at Duke. Um, sorry, it's the next one. Yes, yeah. Oh, you can't really see it. Um, uh, he was commissioned for a resurrection painting, and it's in the York Room at Duke. It really became, this process for this resurrection painting that he was commissioned, really became a resurrection painting in truth. Um, when Bruce presented it, he offered a story of making and unmaking. Bruce focused on the painting's radical transformation um, but we can say that also the making and unmaking was just as much about the artist uh, because of his attitude, his aptitude, his inspiration and discipline had to be given over to God for the work. One of my favorite writers, G.K. Chesterton, writes, There's a time in the late afternoon when children tire of their games. It is then that they turn to torturing the cat. And parents... Mothers and fathers, you know this is true. Your creative work will turn to torturing the cat. We suffer boredom, disappointment with life, lack of excitement. That new creative work, that cool idea, it gets old. This is when we must die, that the real work of our lives might live. The second command to love your neighbor is second for a reason. Keep your eyes on God's good pleasure not whether or not your work will be immediately understood or appreciated. Jesus' life was killed with creative work beginning in, the in his father's carpentry shop. If you'll go back, uh, yes, this is Christ in the house of his parents. Um, this painting was actually highly criticized um, this, um, when it was made, even though you can't really tell, but the clarity because this depicts Jesus as a red-headed, grubby little boy, very earthy. And before then, Jesus always had a little halo and cherub, etc. So this um, Jesus is a sign. He's cut his hand on something, and he's bleeding there. And you've got Joseph, and you've got the dove. And it's a very Trinitarian painting. Um, but even this, um, beginning in his father's 
um, carpentry shop, Jesus was a craftsman, and I don't think that was an accident. But even for God, the life of Christ dispels the myth that creative work is always a pleasure or received with honor by his contemporaries. How many times did he do a creative work, whether it was a miracle or of healing or telling stories and parables, only to be criticized and rejected? The Old Testament is filled with prophets going about doing wild symbolic performances. Ezekiel went around town with a frying pan in front of his face. Isaiah went naked in the, in the wilderness for three years. Pick your prophet. Their work was often not understood, let alone affirmed and embraced. But like Lilius, all the men and women who've spent out their lives in creative activity had a passion for God that impacted um, and served their neighbors. But even the best intentions, rawest and gifted talents, failure is part of the process, and we should trust the process. I had an arts professor say that 95% of, of your work ends up on the scrap heap. And if you can't accept that, you don't do art. I know filmmakers, photographers, writers, and poets who have learned to accept that so much time and energy and talent is sacrificed on the cutting room floor. And that, and that success doesn't come easy or it doesn't come at all. They fail. And that is where the fierce, fierce friend of the Holy Spirit brings life. That third declaration of the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and life giver. Again, Sayers says that God calls us to life, but the right kind of life. If we take Lilius's life and viewed her as a woman who missed out, who a failed and forgotten artist, we'll have missed the plot. Lilius experienced great suffering and loss, but people said of her, no one ever loved us like her before. In her journals, Lilius wrote, take the hardest thing in your life, the place of outward and inward, and expect God to transform gloriously that very spot. Just there, he can bring your soul into blossom. Um, so creative work is hard, and it's messy, and it's painful. I heard a TED talk by um, Astro Teller, the head of X. Has anybody heard of X? Google X? Well, this is a curiosity department in the land of Google, and what they do is they take moonshots. That's their slogan. This company reminds me of the inventing room, honestly, of Willy Wonka's fa chocolate factory where any wild idea is entertained and pursued, and a lot of ideas fail. But what caught my attention was that Google X rewards, get this, it rewards its employees with bonuses and vacations when they fail, when their ideas don't work out. Um, so, oh sorry, they intentionally cultivated a spirit of freedom, innovation, and generosity, because Google X has an attitude that Astro Teller, the head, had an attitude that nothing is ever really lost. I thought, this company sounds like the Holy Spirit. And how I wish that, the, that pe the people I talk to and the churches I go to, that I've reached out to join Culture Care to support the work, this idea of going out and being vulnerable and trying new things that are strange and different, and they didn't get it how I wish that they understood their role like Google X understood its role. I wish that they had a heavenly vision that nothing is truly lost, even on the cutting room floor of messy creative activity. 
So uh, for example, this summer I was um, at the, there was an idea generator conference that I went to participate with many other Christian leaders um, and Muslim leaders around the world um, on helping um, students in university settings understand and care for creation, that we had a shared vision and investment in creation care. And so my team, we had a really incredible team. I think we were the closest, and I think we were gypped in that sense that we didn't win because our team was just so awesome. So we didn't win despite, I'm, I'm getting over it, I'm giving it to God. We didn't win despite um, the intense teamwork and the devotion we worked really hard and we were really excited and we had a really good idea. But even though it was rejected, God was at work and he was in work in this vision that we had. And my friend Sidra, who's Muslim, she said, Alex, our vision was too great. We created the future. I said, okay, that works for me. All right, moving on. There's another side to this idea of creative activity in light of the two commandments and sacrifice, and that is the role of patronage. And this role leads us to the fourth declaration of the creed, and I believe in one church in baptism, and the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. And now here is the victory for saints of God. For those here who cannot in some way imagine, empathize, or identify with the creative activity that I've been circling this whole time, you are called to be part of creative activity as patrons. Love God and neighbor by respecting the material and the worker, by sacrificing um, for good and worthy work. Exodus chapter 36.3 says that the people of God came to Moses with presents of contributions by the Israelites, and they kept giving and kept giving to the building of the tabernacle. It became to such a point and came to such a head that all the craftsmen, the artists, that God had breathed into his spirit with wisdom and calling to this work, even they said, tell the people to stop giving to the work. I don't know of any artist that has had that problem since then. If you do, I want to meet them. Um, so, and finally, Moses said, that's enough. There's more than enough to do the work. But all that, the people of God respected the work of God when it came to quality, material, and craftsmanship. And they didn't call the artists to sacrifice their money and their materials to do the work. Another art myth is that creative work is done in isolation, and it's not. Depending on the profession, artists do work at loan at times, but there's almost a community of hospitality, financial or educational support, and encouragement. Like this week, I hope that the Oaks Arts has a fellowship meal, if possible. If not this week, then next. We'll, we'll talk about it. Um, so the creation story, in the creation story, when God created, he created a world and a life that was legitimately, legitimately dependent on his creaturely agents, us. Um, it's actually a wild and beautiful idea if you think about it. For the kind of world that God wanted to create, this impossible, complicated, messy world, he actually required us to join him in his work for life. Um, I'm working on um, a performance art, um, Behold 433, and it's this idea based on Marina Abramovich's work um, she did at MoMA. She's a performance artist, and at MoMA, she, the last slide, will you go to the last slide? I know, I'm missing, yeah. So here she is, 2010, major thing, People came from all over to sit for one minute in front of her, 
And it was just completely silent. You may have heard of this. It was, it's just an iconic performance piece. And for a couple of days, she sat there for one minute in front of each person. And that was the whole conversation. And just to watch how the expressions changed, the struggle, the embarrassment, the fear, the excitement that was captured on film when people just looked each other or in the eye. And I have a, a minister that I talked to him about this idea. And he said, you know, I ask couples when they're getting, when he's marrying these couples, he says, now turn and look at each other. Um, just look at each other. And he said, they've just pledged their lives to each other. They, they committed their lives, this greatest, most vulnerable act of intimacy, of pledging. And they have the hardest time of just looking at each other. No, don't look at, don't look at the audience. Look at each other. He has to stop them. Look at each other. It's crazy. But this is something that we really do struggle with, this idea of beholding. And that is something that we're called to do. So taking this idea a step further, when we value life, the right kind of life, we cannot help but create space for others. In Genesis 2.18, God saw that man was alone in his work. Not that man was lonely, but he was alone. And God, being the Trinity, that divine community of love, knew that isolated genius was not good. Friendship, fellowship, this is the creative vision and task. In this sense, some work can never be complete until you, you join the work. But you need to show up. Authentic creative work of the people of God results in collaborative witness. For example, the prophet Jeremiah goes to the potter's house for inspiration. Then there's everybody's contribution to the tabernacle, the temple, and later the rebuilding of the walls in Nehemiah. Collaborative action is performed here today. The church, the body of Christ, and inhabited space. How do we fill this space? Specialized teams of the church engaged in creative partnership and individual outreach, and the towns developed and invested. All three strive for performing a unified, intentional vision for faith, place, and beauty in the body of Christ. As a final note, the way in which a good work is produced matters just as much as the end result. Caring for God's good earth, the land, water, the air, the birds, the animals, all creation is groaning. And it groans for God's people to join God's kingdom activity. Are you a patron that invests in landscapes that fosters hospitality, hope, and healing? Does your life's work lead to creation's renewal? Everything on earth, the food you eat, the clothes you wear, um, the, your market, everything is an opportunity for hospitality and renewal. If all is either sacred or desecrated creative work, the, be sure that you have spent all to make it all worthy before the Lord, to make it good. To quote Sayers, the resurrection of the body means more, I think, than what we are accustomed to suppose. It means that whatever happens, there can be no end to the manifestation of creative life. If we truly desire a creative life for ourselves and for others, um, it is our task to rebuild the world along creative lines. But we must be sure that we desire it enough. Lilia Trotter always knew she could have done so much more with her art. But she's the faithful servant in whom others said of her, she knew her life was joy, and her life was joy. The master was well pleased with her. At her deathbed, with her friends around her singing, she was imagining heaven. In fact, her, her writings and her journals have inspired the, the hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. So her work, her writing, has inspired, actually, music. They asked her, Lilius, 
Do you see beautiful things? Yes, she answered, many, many beautiful things. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, may we, like Lilius, be faithful to see. May we be faithful to go out into broken areas in our communities. And we may, may we be faithful to create many beautiful things to your honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.